Welcome to the Inspiration Station. I'm your host and friend, Corey Baker, a.k.a. Chill Harris. How are you guys doing this week? Last week, it was week two of The Artist Way. This week, we're going to be doing week three. Uh, before we get started on that, I wanted to talk uh, about a little personal thing that I've been doing um, over the past week, almost week and a half, will be a week and a half in a few days. Um, on top of doing this Artist Way thing, uh, my girlfriend has always asked me um, every couple months to do this 21-day uh, no-sugar challenge with her, and every other time I've always been like, ah, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. And this time, especially since I was already doing this Artist Way, I was like, you know what, why not? Why don't I give it a shot, see how I feel, see if it makes a big difference. So over this past week, uh, giving up sugar pretty much entirely, and I don't just mean like sodas and stuff, I don't really drink sodas, uh, candy, I have candy from time to time, uh, but if you look at the ingredients and in what you eat, there's sugar like in almost everything, like lunch meat, chips, uh, just places you wouldn't even think that there's sugar, and all that definitely, definitely adds up. So, what I like to say is just if you're interested in doing something like that and quitting sugar, um, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's going to be a bitch, though, for at least at least four or five days to get your body to kind of recalibrate itself, and um, basically you're training your body to run off of fats as opposed to carbs and sugar which is your body likes a lot, <laughs> a lot more than just carbs and, and crap. So, you know, like I said, on, on top of doing this artist way thing, I decided just to go for it and really do as much as I can to really get myself in, in good shape, both uh, mentally and physically. So if you're interested in that, um, yeah, do some research on sugar and what it does to your body and, the things that it's in that you probably eat every single day. It's it's pretty crazy. All right, so on to the artist's way. So this is week three. Uh, let's do our little checklist from week two. Number one, how many days this week did you do your morning pages? Uh, for me, I did them every single day. It wasn't a problem at all. Uh, I'm really enjoying enjoying doing them, and it's kind of turned into a habit now, which is what's great about repeating things that are good for you is that you can turn them into a good habit. So uh, I really enjoy that. I enjoy starting my day with uh, writing and kind of getting all my thoughts out on paper. I feel like it helps me be far more clear-headed throughout the day. Um, number two, did you do your artist date this week? Uh, I totally did. I got to go to a thrift store with my girlfriend last week and we... She was looking for books. I was looking for video games. I got a crap, not a crap ton, like 10 or 15 um, Atari 2600 games. And I found on the original Game Boy, Batman the Animated Series, uh, which I've been looking for for a long time. I'm a huge Batman fan, especially the animated series from the 90s. So I found that and uh, that was pretty freaking awesome. I think we were at the thrift store for like almost two hours. It was it was great. Uh, number three, were there any other issues this week you consider significant for your recovery? Um, for me, on top of doing the sugar-free thing, about midway through last week, um, I turned into a real asshole. Um, it was it was not a good time. I did not have a good time. Super low energy, super negative. Um, but 
again, doing the sugar-free thing after it's like kind of after that really low mark, like halfway through a week, your first week of doing it, um, you really start to feel better after that. And I finally made it over the hump. I feel like a hundred bucks or a million bucks, whatever is a good amount of money to you. <laughs> I feel good. I feel really good. So, um, yeah, the only issues is just that, that middle week for me, just having a bad time. So, uh, this week, week three, is called Recovering a Sense of Power. And the first little bit of this chapter is talking about anger and how to use anger as a map um, on either improving yourself or in, you know doing something that needs to be done. Um, because usually what she says is uh, when we do get angry, it shows us our boundaries. And a lot of times, at least for me, like if I get super angry about something, I blow up. And then hopefully, you know, sometimes it takes some time, but hopefully in retrospect, you know, whether an hour or two later, um, you can, I, I can at least see myself like, oh, that, that's where I went wrong. Like I shouldn't have done that. And here's what I need to do to fix it. So hopefully through doing this artist way, we can kind of get to where we have enough self-control and enough, um, enough kind of different perspective on our own actions to be able to catch ourselves and call ourselves out on stuff like that. And, you know, it's not always going to happen, right? When you get angry, like you're not going to be like, oh, I'm super angry, but hey, I know why I'm angry. And I know that I don't need to be angry. I just need to fix something. You know, that's not always going to happen, but it's okay because, you know, sometimes we need to just blow up to like come back down, you know? So The next little part she talks about is synchronicity again and talking about not fearing synchronicity. And this is the whole idea of, um, you know, be careful what you wish for. And I've seen this in a lot of people. I've seen this in myself, too. Um, I would say even over this last year, like if I if I don't have a positive attitude and feel good about things, then in my head, I start getting super negative and then things in general and life just don't work out that well because I think you attract what you put out into the world so keeping a positive mind keeping yourself open to coincidences and uh, synchronicity and following those things um, I think really helps on just you know living a better life hopefully I think so at least because I think I've had I've definitely had times throughout my life where I've been super positive and super focused on things and things have worked great and then I've had times in my life where I'm super negative hate everything and guess what that's what I end up getting in return so so not fearing synchronicity um one of the little parts that she talks about is uh having a plan and then the details will follow. And I'm reminded of a really good book, which I've talked about so many times in this podcast, but in The Slight Edge, he talks about uh, either it was him or one of his friends wanted to open up a business in Germany, and he had no idea how to do it. But he had the idea, and he started to just you know get the wheels turning, start moving, start trying to make things happen, and... Through doing that, he found out that his neighbor was German, and then it just it led to this whole kind of like domino effect, and eventually he ended up opening a business in Germany. Now, the thing about that is that we don't always know how things are going to play out, like we don't know the details of how they're going to play out. But if we have a plan and go after that plan, the details kind of fill themselves in, and 
Jeff Olson, who's the guy who wrote Slight Edge, he has a really good explanation of just like how, you know, that was, he wanted to open a business over in Germany. He didn't know how to do it, but he went after it. And um, there was, there would be no way that he would have been able to know, uh, you know, all the details and all the things that would have had to lead up for him to open the business over there. He just went after it and then all the details, you know, fell in. And I think, I think that's pretty easy to kind of recognize in your own life if like, you know, you meet somebody new who's really cool or you start to hang out with and then just like kind of the line of things that happen after that, which might lead to something you've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, you know, we would you, you never really know what the details are going to be, but if you have a roadmap, a plan, then usually you can get to your destination. You just, you know, you, sometimes you have to take side roads. So, she talks about that uh, synchronicity, and then um, shame is the next little bit. And a lot of our inner shame, you know, comes from being a child or these traumatic experiences, uh, either where people haven't given us enough attention or we've done things to please people and they don't care. Um, and also, she kind of breaks down shame as like thinking of it as um, a fear of sharing a secret. And I think that's pretty dead on because with you know even I, I think in my own life like making music like I'm very hesitant to just put anything out and even when I do get to putting something out um, like a song or something I've usually distanced myself from it and in my head I hate it because I've already listened to it so many times and then there's that like I don't know. It's a very underwhelming feeling. Obviously, like when I put something out and people like it, like that feels good. But at the same time, like, you know, just feeling like you're falling short um, all the time. That's shame. And that's something that we can learn to kind of manage. Um, You know, in my own life, I don't know. There's been times when I've been able to manage it. it. There's been times when it just comes back, but it's like, you just have to kind of be aware of it happening to be able to stop it. You know, you can't stop what you don't know is there. So if you can be aware of it, then you can kind of take a step back, get a different perspective, think about it in a different way, and hopefully move on from that. So um, on top of shame, she talks about uh, criticism and taking criticism too personally or taking really bad criticism um, personally. And she basically breaks down the difference between useful, constructive criticism and then dismissive, condemning, um, criticism. So good criticism usually is like a really well thought out and detailed description on what you could do to make something better or fix something if it needs to be fixed. Um, dismissive, condemning, um, criticism. I would say that's like YouTube comments, just like people being shitty for no reason and stuff that's really hard to like, um, you know, rebuttal to because it's just like, oh, your mom's stupid or something like that, you know? So she talks about just not taking criticism too seriously. And then also, taking the criticism and then either learning from it or just throwing it out the window and moving on. Like either way you have to move on, right? Because if you don't move on, then you start shaming yourself and then you get angry and then everything kind of like falls apart, you know, from there. 
So she has this little uh, checklist on dealing with criticism. So I'm going to read that, uh, this little part right now. So it is important to be able to sort useful criticism from the other kind. Often we need to do the sorting out for ourselves without the benefit of a public vindication. As artists, we are far more able to do this sorting than people might suspect. Pointed criticism, if accurate, often gives the artist an inner sense of relief. Aha, so that's what was wrong with it. Useful criticism ultimately leaves us with one more puzzle piece for our work. Useless criticism, on the other hand, leaves us with a feeling of being, uh, I don't know what that word is, uh, just being feeling bad. As a rule, it is uh, withering and shaming in tone, ambiguous in content, personal, inaccurate, or blanket in its uh, con- condemnations. Condemnations, I don't know, that's a big word. Sorry, guys. Uh, there is nothing to be gleaned from irresponsible criticism. You are dealing with an inner child, artistic child abuse creates rebellion, creates block. All that can be done with abusive criticism is to heal from it. There are certain rules of the road useful in dealing with any form of criticism. And here's the list. Uh, number one, receive the criticism all the way through and get it over with. Two, jot down your notes to yourself on what concepts or phrases bother you. Three, jot down notes on what concepts or phrases seem useful. Four, do something very nurturing for yourself. Read an old good review or recall a compliment. Number five, remember that even if you have made a truly rotten piece of art, it may be a necessary stepping stone in your next work. Art matures spasmodically. I don't know if that's how you say that. And requires ugly duckling growth stages. Looking at the criticism again uh, doesn't remind you of any criticism from your past, particularly particularly shaming childhood criticism. Acknowledge uh, to yourself that the current criticism is triggering grief over a long-standing wound. Number seven, write a letter to the critic, not to be mailed, most probably. Defend your work and acknowledge what was helpful. If anything, in the criticism pro-offered. She's using some weird words, or am I just a dumbass? I don't know, guys. Number eight, uh, get back on the horse. Make an immediate commitment to do something creative. Number nine, do it. Creativity is the only cure for criticism. That's interesting, huh? Um, I think that that's definitely the truth, though, because uh, I think anytime you get like writer's block, which is basically what this whole book is, you know, trying to break through. But anytime you get writer's block, the only way to get over it is to just continue working. Like if you stop working, then you're st- you still have writer's block because you haven't done anything. You know what I mean? Which can kind of be tricky because I think, you know, there's sometimes, especially in making art, whatever it is, uh, you need to take a break. You need to like step back, get a different perspective on things and come back to it, you know, at a different angle. But if you have writer's block and you're complaining about writer's block, you're getting angry about it. All you really need to do is just continue to work. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy or it is easy, but you just got to you know, get the car started again and get it moving. So the next little exercise is called detective work. And I'm going to read here. Uh, Many blocked people are actually very powerful and creative personalities who have been made made to feel guilty about their own strengths and gifts. 
Without being acknowledged, they are often used as batteries by their families and friends who feel free to both use their creative energies and disparage them. When these blocked artists strive to break free of their dysfunctional systems, they are often urged to be sensible when such advice is not appropriate for them. Made to feel guilty for their talents, they often hide their own light under a bushel for fear of hurting others. Instead, they hurt themselves. A little sleuth work is in order to restore the persons we have abandoned, abandoned ourselves. When you complete the following phrases, you may feel strong emotion as you retrieve memories and misplaced fragments of yourself. Allow yourself to free associate for a sentence or so with each phrase. So now there's a list of 20 phrases. So let's do this here. Number one, my favorite childhood toy was blank. Number two, my favorite childhood game was. Number three, the best movie I ever saw as a kid was. Number four, I don't do it much, but I enjoy blank. Uh, Number five, if I could lighten up a little, I'd let myself blank. Number six, if it weren't too late, I'd blank. Number seven, my favorite musical instrument is blank. Uh, Number eight, the amount of money I spend on treating myself to entertainment each month is blank. Number nine, if I weren't so stingy with my artist, I'd buy him slash her blank. Number 10, taking time out from myself is blank. Number 11, I'm afraid that if I start dreaming, blank. Number 12, I secretly enjoy reading, blank. Number 13, if I had had a perfect childhood, I'd have grown up to be, blank. Number 14, if it didn't sound so crazy, I'd write or make a, blank. Number 15, my parents think artists are, blank. Number 16, my God thinks artists are, blank. Number 17, what makes uh, me feel weird about this recovery is, blank. Number 18, learning to trust myself is probably blank. And number 19, my most cheerful or cheer me up music is blank. Number 20, my favorite way to dress is blank. Again, uh, this is why I think it's a good idea if uh, you're enjoying these podcasts to uh, to buy the book so you can follow through this and you don't have to listen to my uh, very poor reading, um, especially of these, these lists. But... Um, I think that's a really good exercise to kind of get yourself thinking about, you know, things in the past, thinking of things that you don't necessarily let yourself do or that you, um, you know, have this negative idea about um, and, you know, maybe working to change that. And there's a little blurb on the side of, uh, of this little exercise and it says, uh, take your life in your own hands and what happens? A terrible thing. No one to blame. That's pretty true, huh? Uh, it's really easy to blame other people for your problems. Um, I know we all do it, but if you're completely in control of, um, of yourself and of your life, then it's hard to blame other people and you'll probably be happier. (laughs) So, uh, the next little bit, she talks about, uh, growth. Uh, growth is an is an erratic movement forward, two steps forward, one step back. So, throughout this, she's talking about you know like oh you might feel really creative on one day and get a lot done, and then you know like you're creative on a Tuesday, but you're not creative on a Wednesday. Um, I think all that is normal. Um, I think that's normal even as, even when things are going really well. You know sometimes you're just not going to feel good about what you're doing, but the important thing is that you show up show up and practice that's 
the secret to getting better at anything. Um, okay, so let's read off the tasks for this week. Um, number one, describe your childhood room. If you wish, you may sketch this room. What was your favorite thing about it? What's your favorite thing about your room right now? Nothing? Well, get something you like in there. Maybe something from that old childhood room. Number two, describe five traits you like in yourself as a child. Number three, list five childhood accomplishments. Straight A's in seventh grade, trained the dog, punched out the class bully, short-sheeted the priest's bed. I don't even know what that means. That sounds dirty. but uh, And a treat. List five favorite childhood foods. Buy yourself one of them this week. Yes, Jello with bananas is okay. Um, number four, habits. Take a look at your habits. Many of them may interfere with your self-nurturing and cause shame. Some of the oddest things are self-destructive. Uh, do you have a habit of watching TV you don't like? Do you have a habit of uh, hanging out with a really boring friend and just killing time? There's an expression. Uh, some rotten habits are obvious. Um, it's like drinking too much, smoking too much, eating instead of writing, blah, blah. List three obvious rotten habits. What's the payoff in continuing them? Some rotten habits are more subtle. Su- subtle. Uh, no time to exercise, little time to pray, always helping others, not getting any self-nurturing, hanging out with people who belittle your dreams. List three of your subtle foes. What use do these forms of sabotage have? Be specific. Number five, make a list of friends who nur- nurture you. That's nurture, give you a sense of your own competency and possibility. Not to enable, um, give you the message that you will never get a straight, get it straight without their help. There is a big difference between being helped and being treated as though we are helpless. List three nurturing friends, which of their traits particularly, particularly serve you well. Number six, call a friend who treats you like you are really good and bright, like you are really a really good and a bright person. Well, I'm not a bright person, as you can tell by this uh, reading here. Um, who can accomplish things? Part of your recovery is reaching out for support. This support will be critical as you undertake new risks. Number seven, inner compass. Each of us has an inner compass. This is the instinct that points us towards health. It warns us when we are on a dangerous ground, and it tells us when something is safe and good for us. Morning pages are one way to contact it. So... So are some other artist's brain activities, painting, driving, walking, scrubbing, running. This week, take an hour to follow your inner compass by doing an artist's brain activity and listening to what insights bubble up. Number eight, list five people you admire. Now list five people you secretly admire. What traits do these people have that you can cultivate further in yourself? Number nine, list five people you uh, you wish you had met who are dead. Now list five people who are dead whom you'd like to hang out with uh, for a while in eternity. <laughs> what traits uh, do you find in these people that you can look for in your friends? Number 10, compare the two sets of lists. Take a look at what you really like and really admire and a look at what you think you should like and admire. Your shoulds might tell you to admire Edison while your heart belongs to Houdini. Go with the Houdini Houdini side for a while. Cool. So that's the chapter. Um, That got me thinking, like, list five people you'd want to meet that are dead. Um, 
I think Paul Newman might be at the top of my list. Um, he might just be all five because he seriously seems like the coolest dude ever or was the coolest dude ever. Um, anyway, so something I forgot to mention last week when we were talking about uh, blocked people and being blocked and that sort of uh, resistance on doing creative things. Uh, there is a really, really good book called The War on Art or The War of Art. Yeah, it's The War of Art. Uh, really short read, but that book, I'll have to do a review of it sometime um, in this podcast. But that book is great because it really, it's it's kind of a stern book for like a creative book to help you be more creative. But it really just talks about the resistance that we all run into and how to recognize the resistance and not give in to the resistance and to continue doing the work. And one of the big things that he preaches in that book is to just show up every single day. And if you're doing your artist pages every day, you're showing up. That's literally the smallest amount of effort that it takes. It's easy to do. It's easy not to do. Um, but it should make you feel better. It might make you feel bad for a while, but it'll eventually make you feel better. Just like quitting sugar uh, made me feel really bad for a while, but now I feel way better. So good luck out there, guys. Again, if you want to pick up this book, the link's down in the description. I will be back here next Monday to talk about all this good stuff in Chapter 4. Thanks for being here with me. I'm Chill Harris. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.